presents a conversation. I want to make one thing perfectly clear. A dialogue. What are you prepared to do? An astute debate. Everything that's in the law. And a peek behind the curtain of politics. And then what are you prepared to do? I think Chicago is not only the center of the country, I think it's the center of the world. Don't tread on them. Where did this statement come from? This is the Sunday Spin. Your host is the Chicago Tribune's Rick Pearson. Good Sunday evening, everyone. I'm Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune, and welcome to this edition of the Sunday Spin for, yes, March the 1st, March the 1st, 2020. Welcome to our look at the world of politics and policy as we go from City Hall to the State House and all the way on to the White House. So time to take a break, grab a beverage, and we'll get you prepared for the rest of the week. We're going to spin right ahead here because of uh, the great call from Dave Ennett and the Cats winning in overtime against Nebraska. Badly needed win. Uh, great job as always, Mr. Cat. We're going to spin right into the show now. And joining me here in the Allstate Skyline studio is Rebecca Shee, the executive director of the American Business Immigration Coalition. Rebecca, as always, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Rick. It's always great to be here and at this hour, yes. Yeah, well, it's a nice view out of uh, Navy Pier and everything and uh, all kinds of news happening. You know, we got Northwestern winning in overtime. Pete Buttigieg uh, set to announce about 7.30 this evening that uh, he is dropping out of the race for the Democratic nomination for president. Tom Steyer having done that a day earlier. All this in advance of Tuesday and Super Tuesday. But I wanted to have Rebecca on because... Because uh, I think more, as much as ever, immigration issues are, are still very much at the forefront of this country. And we're even seeing it in some respects uh, dealing with the issue of the coronavirus and travel restrictions being put in place. But also some talk, uh, early talk, which was later tampered down a bit um, by Alex Azar, the Health and Human Services Secretary, about... Uh, closing the border with Mexico, and Azar basically saying, well, they've only had a couple of reported cases there. It's not as widespread for that kind of action. But having seen the administration, the administration's view on immigration, uh, Stephen Miller kind of directing the policy in the White House, the coronavirus could set itself up for some of the moves that this administration has wanted to make, isn't it, the case? Yeah, I mean, I think, <clears throat> Rick, um, you know, to your point um, that, uh, you know, Right now, there's no sign of coronavirus coming over from the southern border. And number two, and I think most importantly, any response to the coronavirus must be grounded in science and public health and not politics. Um, so, you know, this blaming immigrants or saying that the virus is a hoax is at this moment not just regular immigrants scapegoating or throwing red meat to the base, but it's also a really appalling response to what we're seeing as an actual um, public health crisis. And, um, and so I think now more than ever, um, we need to make sure that immigrants feel uh, safe and comfortable to uh, collaborate with law enforcement and public health officials. Um, and that 
ensure safety for everyone. I mean, no one wants to underplay anything, uh, but there is a, a bit of reality here, and there's there is politics being played on both sides of, of this. Uh, in fact, you referenced the the term hoax, and I think. Uh, you know, in the context of it, it was Democrats are raising another hoax to try to take Trump down, like Russia and everything else that President claims is a hoax. But that having been said, we are talking about, you know, a, a, a serious medical issue, uh, a crisis in China. And yeah, there's a lot we don't know. There's been a lot of fear. Uh, you can't buy a you can't buy a face mask anywhere. Um, the, the 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 stores have uh, Lysol right as you walk down the aisle. Um, but you know there there no one should not take this seriously is the bottom line. But that having been said, uh, when we tend to have emergencies, there are certain uh, nationalities or ethnicities that get scapegoated. Absolutely. And with the travel restriction bans and some of the statements that have been made over the last few days, um, you know, we've seen this kind of similar pattern uh, from the current administration. Um, look, Rick, you know, I think that um, we actually believe that uh, when there's a moratorium on these restrictive measures and especially enforcement intensive measures, um, it actually uh, strengthens public safety and public health for everyone. And the rationale being, you know, uh, we need immigrants from being afraid, from um, not being afraid to cooperate with public health um, at this critical juncture. You know, we've already been hearing uh, news of um, immigrants uh, not wanting go to, to go to the hospital because they're not sure whether ICE will show up. Um, and that's the number one thing we need them to do. Right. So that's Rebecca. She executive director of the American Business Immigration Coalition will speak more to Rebecca about immigration issues coming up. You're listening to the Sunday Spin on WGN. This is the Sunday Spin on 720 WGN. Once again, here's Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune. Welcome back to your Sunday Spin. I'm Rick Pearson here in the WGN Skyline studio, joined by Rebecca Shee, Executive Director of the American Business Immigration Coalition. Used to be of the Illinois Business Immigration (laughs) Coalition, but congratulations for the uh, promotion. Thank you very much. And I hope you're cashing in on all those frequent flyer miles (laughs) from going everywhere. Um, Rebecca, I want to talk to you about... uh, some of the issues that have cropped up lately uh, regarding immigration. Um, We actually had um, Mick Mulvaney, uh, the White House Acting Chief of Staff, uh, stating in support of enhanced immigration in this country, which would seem counterintuitive given the administration's stance. But this is actually something that I think we're seeing from the business community as Yes, the economy has been booming, but that means jobs are, are, are at a premium, and that traditionally it, it is immigrants that take on the jobs that are left behind, as it were. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Rick. Um, so we saw last week uh, the chief of staff, uh, Mulvaney, said basically, you know, we're desperate. Our country is desperate for more immigrants. Um, working uh, with the high 
uh, near full employment, um, there's a labor shortage at both the high and the low skilled. And, um, and he said that we're running out of people to fuel the economy. And it's, this is something that both economists, business leaders, um, have been saying for over a decade. That immigrants are critical to expanding the U.S. labor pool. Um, that we've seen, you know, in our last two census, and you know, we have one that's coming right. up. It's important everybody participate. But in, even in the last two census, we've seen that the native-born population is aging. They're retiring, and they're having less children. Um, and then over this last two decades, fifty percent of the labor force growth have uh, been to, due to immigration. Uh, and the only co- uh, sort of caveat here is that over the last three years, since 2016, um, this labor force growth has actually slowed, right, because of the travel bans and the uh, restriction on immigration. Um, what's also really interesting, in addition to Mulvaney's comment, is that. Around the same time, we saw the White House, led by Jerry Kushner, put out his 600-page immigration proposal um, that is asking Congress to expand uh, immigration at both the high and the low skill. And, and absent legislation, the White House is asking um, the Department of Labor to issue about 450,000 low skill visas so that they can fill the uh, positions in hospitality, tourism for the summer. So I'm sure many of those jobs will probably be part of the the Trump and Kushner um, hospitality. Well, industry, I mean, so. it's it's evidence in the past that mm-hmm. that the the Trump for his hotels and resorts has uh, looked for those low skilled mm-hmm. workers. Many of them not necessarily here legally mm-hmm. uh, to to fill jobs at Mar-a-Lago and and other places like that. That's right. But it's I mean. But we're still kind of doing this as kind of a uh, hopscotch approach right. to things instead of the bottom line of let's look at a comprehensive immigration plan. But right. is it just too much of a political football? That, no, that's right. I mean, I think that's what we're going to see before November. Um, but we've seen polls and even of, you know, very uh, – passionate and energetic, uh, what you would call Trump supporters, who also believe that there needs to be a federal fix, that these piecemeal or even these anti-immigrant measures like mandatory E-Verify or these show-me-your-paper bills are not the solution to our broken immigration system, that it has to be a federal work permit and regularizing people that have lived here so that they're able to work and continue to pay taxes. So I think that um, you know, even with those super hardcore folks that uh, some members of the White House might be playing to with this, you know, xenophobic anti-immigrant policies, they also believe that this is we've been kicking the can down the road for way too long. Like we need a real uh, fix and solution to this issue. Well, it's like a, a lot of things when it comes down to, to money and uh, the uh, eco- economics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That if there's a bridge uh, to gap, bridge that gap by relating it to economics, and so you're seeing economists that are traditionally more aligned with the Republican Party mm-hmm. saying this is just a reality of life. Here is if we want to keep this economy growing. You want your tax cuts, whatever. That's right. This is this is what's going to need to be done. But you, you know, you look at 2013 and the Gang of Eight. 
and in the U.S. Senate where uh, there was a path. And it just seems like in those seven years, life is just so far removed from what was clearly a path that was acceptable to both sides. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Lindsey Graham. Mm-hmm. And where is Lindsey Graham today? Marco Rubio. Where is Marco Rubio today? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not trying to pick on Republicans here, and, and I don't mean it that way. But it's like there was consensus. Mm-hmm. There was agreement. And now it's just it, let's just play politics with mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Let's just play the politics with it. Okay. You touched on mandatory E-Verify. I want you to tell us about Florida and what's going on there. Sure. So um, Governor DeSantis, uh, the governor of Florida, he has been pushing the Florida legislature to enact an E-Verify mandate for all new hires. Now now explain E-Verify. Sure. So E-Verify is a federal system that checks the identity documents of new hires, uh, even Americans, against a government database to ensure that they're legally eligible to work. Now, if the system says that, you know, you, Rick or Rebecca, um, is an undocumented immigrant, the business uh, legally have to uh, fire you. Um, so in theory, E-Verify is supposed to keep businesses from hiring undocumented immigrants, but in reality, it doesn't work at all. Um, and in the process, actually hurts American workers. Now, when you say why it doesn't it doesn't work at all, what do you mean there? Um, so you probably remember, this is, I think, sometime last fall, there was a company... Um, that got raided, about 900 workers were detained in Mississippi, and that company was actually based in, um, I think, Park Ridge, Illinois. Now, Mississippi is a mandatory E-Verify state. So um, technically, no employer is supposed to be hiring undocumented immigrants. So, so they, they, they don't follow what the E-Verify rules would be no. because they need the workers. They need the workers. There's many ways that employers across, there's, I think, six days right now that have e verify many ways employers uh, get around it and there are also different ways that immigrants get around it um, because they're working and employers need the workers so so in florida there's a push to make that Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. a a mandatory e-verify state Mm -hmm. by governor desantis Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what's the political climate there um, so it's, uh, you know, very much uh, so every lever of power is dominated by Republicans. Um, the governor feels like he was sent with a mandate um, to, um, as he says, uh, deter and end illegal immigration um, to the state. So last year, he passed and signed into law a uh, anti-sanctuary measure, except there's no municipality in Florida that's actually anti-sanctuary. And this year, he's going after uh, mandatory evil verify um, again you know with the uh, promise that this will end um, illegal immigration and you know what I think it's more dangerous now than this time last year is this public health crisis is a coronavirus crisis right this is the time where you want immigrants to be cooperating with public health officials and law enforcement and government and not to be afraid um, and, and and we've seen this in Florida where when there's during a hurricane a state of emergency um, ICE have actually stopped enforcement in the shelters so that people can evacuate quickly and not just for um, the safety 
of the immigrant community, but it's for every Floridian or every American um, uh, safety. And so I think, you know, at this time of this public health crisis, um, it's better if us as a nation that we actually focus on addressing this crisis um, rather than, you know, using uh, red meat politics to scapegoat immigrants. Well, and I, I found it interesting, too, because Florida is, we yeah, we know tourism and the hospitality industry, but also very much agriculture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's also a, a large draw for those kinds of jobs that immigrants would accept and when you think of that it seems counterintuitive for their governor to to push that absolutely and and what's really interesting is that there's members of the florida republican delegation um that in congress have affirmed uh that e-verify is voluntary right kind of you know going yeah try to have a both ways kind of thing right right right. Uh, that's i i mean I'm glad you're getting to see some politics beyond the borders of uh, the state of Illinois. And uh, always fascinating. Rebecca Shee is executive director of the American Business Immigration Coalition. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Rick. You're listening to the Sunday Spin on WGN. Joining me now on the phone is Illinois Republican leader Bill Brady of Bloomington. He is the uh, longtime Senate Republican leader, and uh, I bet it's a little warmer in Bloomington. I think it was beautiful in Chicago, wasn't it, today? And uh, Yes, 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 but I figure but we, it's probably about 10 degrees warmer down there, a little golf weather in Bloomington, Illinois. <laughs> well, I don't know about golf. We still have some snow on the ground, but it's uh, going away. But uh, Oh, like that, would ever, that, like that uh, would ever stop you from uh, taking out a golf well, club? <laughs> well, I prefer warm weather golf. But, don't, don't we but, all? Uh, I was just in Chicago yesterday, so I know it's a lot better today than it was yesterday. It was glorious today. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. And uh, I I wanted to have you on as we kind of continue taking a look at uh, Governor Pritzker's uh, proposed budget for the fiscal year that starts on July 1, um, $42 billion, uh, give or take $1.4 billion, I suppose, is the way that it could be put. And... I, I, I spoke with uh, your colleague uh, across the chamber, uh, Jim Durkin, on this subject, and the the, the issue of, uh, I guess, a belief that Republicans think that the Pritzker's holding hostage school funding in exchange for trying to get passage of the uh, graduated rate income tax that he's seeking. Um, but isn't it prudent to kind of um, not knowing what the fate of that tax is, to kind of have a plan B? Well, it, w- it would be prudent. I, I personally believe he's going to have trouble convincing the voters to support uh, his plan, the tax increase. And so it would be prudent. What we've seen with Governor Pritzker is when he introduces something, he appeases the left wing of his party. He did that last year with his budget. <clears throat> And uh, we were able to, we had some help, but we were able to talk him off that cliff and some things that we thought were damaging. There are some things in this budget that are damaging. Uh, I think he's making a mistake to toy with the children of our state's education uh, in in this plan uh, and some other things that he's doing. But 
I'm hopeful that like last year, he, he moved from appeasing the left wing of his party to coming more centrist. We'll be able to get him to do the same thing this year uh, in, in this proposal. But uh, we, we gonna, we're going to need some fiscal discipline. We cannot predicate a budget on a tax increase that I don't believe the voters will support in order to spike caucus. And we need we need to have a reasonable plan, uh, given the fact that we don't think those short term revenues will be there. You know, we certainly know they won't be there in the long term because people will make decisions that will alter uh, the viability of those revenues. Certainly, what the governor has talked about is rather than three hundred and fifty million dollars being earmarked for. Uh, K through 12 education as part of the uh, monumental change in school aid funding that was accomplished under uh, actually uh, Governor Rauner. Rather than 350, it's 200 million. But you know, certainly revenues have to come from somewhere. And is it is it something that Republicans will present an alternative budget? Well, we we outlined the basics of of an alternative. First of all, uh, the premise is some time ago, he asked his agencies to come up with six and a half percent reductions in spending inefficiencies. We'd like to see what they came up with. Uh, and we'd like to see how real they are. We believe they can be real if they, if they took that effort earnestly. If you take that figure and you couple it with natural revenue growth, we believe there is enough resources uh, to meet our pension obligation uh, to fund what we agreed to three years ago under Governor Rauner, $350 million increases in education funding per year, uh, which not only funds education but provides property tax relief. And then we believe there's other resources to backfill the other areas of the state budget that, that, that might need help. We know that the Department of Children and Family Services has not been run well, and we know there are resources that are going to be needed to rebuild that. We're not sure if it's quite the level that the governor's requested, but we're willing to listen to why he's requested that. So we, we believe there's a way to come up with a sound foundation uh, and, uh, and a spending plan that works to the interest of the state. Now, having said that, uh, we think that one of the areas that the Democrats have lacked interest in is that well, in what we can do to foster job creation. We know that Illinois has a greater ability than what we've been living up to in providing opportunities for Illinois families. We've been losing middle-income families to other states as one of the largest net out-migration states. And the lack of emphasis on job creation is bothersome to us. So we're, we're going to continue to to emphasize that is as important as it is because the real future of Illinois is is based on economic performance and providing for the livelihoods of Illinois families. So when you're talking about job creation efforts, what are you talking about? Uh, tax credits for employers? Uh, what are you what are you looking at there? Well, we 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 think that something that really hurt was this idea that we should increase uh, the minimum wage equally across the state. There are different costs of living in parts of the state, the southern part of the state, particularly compared to Chicago. Uh, we believe there ought to be uh, alterations. There are already alterations in union prevailing wages throughout this state. We believe there ought to be alterations. What we're doing is we're forcing 
businesses to move across the border because of our failure to understand that. Uh, we want higher wages for all, but we think the best way to get that is to work with businesses, to incentivize businesses, to give businesses a platform to grow, not to force them uh, to increase wages by government fiat. But there are things that the governor hasn't touched upon, uh, how we can work better to make workers' compensation uh, better protecting individuals, but more affordable. What we can do to limit the, the, the tort liabilities around this state, the, 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 the harassment that we see in this state due to the legal nature of it. Uh, we worked hard last year to, to reinvest in our infrastructure, which is critically important to all parts of the state, particularly downstate Illinois. But there's much more we can do. Uh, somehow reducing the problematic effects of the minimum wage fiat mandate is one of those. Have you seen any willingness among the administration to talk about, I mean, certainly workers' comp is kind of a an annual docket item, isn't it? What is, and, and it, it is one of the reasons for that is that the increase to the cost associated in Illinois compared to neighboring states, particularly in other states. So I, I'm, I'm hopeful uh, that we can now focus our attention on what can be done to make businesses uh, more successful and make Illinois more attractive to business investment uh, as a state compared to other states in this nation. We're speaking with Bill Brady. He is a Republican senator from Bloomington. He's also the longtime Republican leader of the Illinois Senate. I'm Rick Pearson. This is the Sunday Spin. Now back to the Tribune's Rick Pearson. It's the Sunday Spin on 720 WGN. Good Sunday evening. Welcome back to your Sunday Spin. I'm Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune here in the WGN Skyline studio. Joining me on the phone is Bill Brady. He is the Illinois Senate Republican leader from Bloomington. Senator, thank you again for uh, joining me this evening. I, I noticed in some of the items that uh, Governor Pritzker was holding back on, depending on the outcome of that uh, graduated tax vote in November, we talked about the school funding. There were also some uh, dollars for uh, municipalities as well. And to me, I kind of wondered if this wasn't a way to say, well, if we don't get this graduated tax we're going to be shortening. We're going to be shorting government entities that are heavily dependent on uh, property taxes. Well, I think you're right, and I, I there's no question that the people the governor listened to in crafting this message was it was a message that if you don't support my tax increase, uh, there are going to be repercussions. Uh, we don't believe there has to be. In fact, we were disappointed last year that uh, we had an agreement that two years ago we reinstated half of the reduction to municipal governments because we know that they provide some of the baseline services to so many people in need. And you're right, they have to rely on property taxes if they don't get those resources. But we, we came up with a two-year agreement, but one year we reinstituted half of the reduction it was um, it was under the Madigan budget proposal several years ago. We all agreed that we'd reinstate half of that. 
And, and then last year, we were supposed to reinstate the other half, but it didn't happen. And, and this threat to pull it back and even take away only works at the disadvantage of what many of our local government officials work so hard to do for their citizens. And it, and it does prey, as you say, on the greater reliance on increasing property taxes. Is there any way we can, and I'm not saying, you know, you have to have the the graduated rate income tax or whatever, but is there any way we can lessen the reliance on property taxes without the state getting revenue from another source? Well, that's why it's it's, it's so important that we commit revenues uh, that we currently have to education funding, the biggest the biggest uh, government reliant on property taxes. And, and that's where I think the governor really missed the messaging boat when he said if he doesn't get his tax increase, it'll cost our children. Um, I don't think that'll really happen. I think it was a, a, a crying wolf. Uh, I, don't, I don't think he'll do that. I don't think the legislature will let him do that. Uh, but the real goal goes back to job creation. And we need more revenues because, unfortunately, uh, people who've supported budgets in the past, uh, those budgets left us with more and more unfunded pension obligations. And and more and more of state resources have to go toward meeting those pension obligations rather than education funding and property tax relief. So we have a we have a hill, a hole we have to climb ourselves out of. And the only way you can do it is is to grow the base of our economy, putting more people uh, to work with the advantages of employment, paying taxes into the system, uh, less reliant on government. And, and the good news is we've got a great state to do that in. We've got a we've got an advantage geographically. We've got a natural resource advantage. We just have to learn to exercise all those opportunities that those provide and stop threatening tax increases and, and, and stop overspending. It can be done. It, it, other states have done it. Indiana has done it. Uh, Wisconsin and other states in our Midwest area have done it. It's just got to be a change in emphasis. But the only way we're going to work our way out of this is to focus on job creation. But there is another problem here. And right now that problem is, is, is corruption in Illinois. We've got a number of Democrats who've been indicted and under investigation. And uh, the message that sends is not a positive one either. You've heard me talk about the fact that I believe the root of corruption in Illinois is is fostered in the fact that our Constitution gives two Democrats the power to draw maps, maps that I believe uh, have put Illinois in a position that's out of touch with reality. 52% of the general election vote in the legislative races has gone to Democrats, yet there's a supermajority of Democrats in the legislature. That's not helping the situation, and I think the power that's given the Democratic Party has led to the corruption that we've seen. But and and obviously your concerns about maps are are, are longstanding, and and there are people obviously who would like to see a less political, uh, more data driven kind of map making process in the state. It's not as simple as Iowa, uh, where you, you say have, you say people. I think everybody, but two people in the legislature and 
maybe the Democrats right now in the legislature, but everybody else. I've not run into one person that thinks that the Speaker of the House and the President of the Senate and politicians should be able to draw maps for their own personal play. Everybody in Illinois thinks we'd be better off if an independent body of the legislature, outside of the two people who draw the maps and maybe their political colleagues, everybody believes that this state would be better off giving the people the power to draw the maps, not the legislature. But the but the point I was going to make is that certainly, uh, you know, gerrymandering exists exists under both parties. It's existed, you know, across the country. But we also have some pretty uh, definite ideological, political ideological shifts going on. That the 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 suburbs and the collar counties are not as Republican as they used to be. Uh, based on their historic trends to what we've seen in recent years. So is it, I mean, I understand complaints about the map. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying under a fair map, Republicans still don't have challenges in Illinois. We've got a better shot. They wouldn't have a supermajority. I mean, we, we have had some demographic changes and that's fine. But when you draw maps that don't represent communities of interest in the people, but yet represent... And I've got to tell you, I, I traveled this state for a number of years. I travel this state now as the Illinois Senate Republican leader. I've never seen more vicious divide and about the politics of this state because the Democrats have gerrymandered such a majority. And it's not helping matters in any way. Regardless if you're Republican or Democrat, regardless of who's in power, the truth of the matter is gerrymandered maps serve the politicians' interest and not the people's interest. The good news is my Senate colleagues, a majority of of my Senate colleagues in both uh, Republican and Democratic parties have co-sponsored resolutions to take the power away uh, from the legislature and give it to the people. I'm just hopeful that we get a fair vote on that. I'm hopeful that the governor, who, when he campaigns, said he would support that, uh, will push that initiative. It's an important one to push. The mapping process is coming up in 22, and uh, we need to tell the people of Illinois, the business community of Illinois, that we're willing to do away with its rooted corruption and power and, and give the mapping process to the people so that Illinois is more fairly represented. I, I just want to go back to something you said about the, the obviously the, the great divisions that exist, in, and particularly uh, between urban and rural, between upstate and downstate, being being uh, kind of fostered by gerrymandering, or that's a result of these Democratic maps? No question. This, 52% on average of the general election vote, 52 to 54 percent, give or take, I don't want to be quoted in fact check, but is is given the Democrat, been the Democrat majority, that doesn't lead to super majorities in the legislature. It, it, it would mean maybe a two or three or four member majority. But those super majorities give the Democrats so much power that they pass things that I think are out of touch with Main Street Illinoisans. And uh, it gives them so much power that I think it's led to the corruption within their own party. 
So certainly, you know, and, I, and not to give too much credence to these separatist efforts downstate from separating Chicago into its own state. That's not healthy. That, that it's not healthy, but it's the it's it's driven by the frustration of those separatists of who they represent. They they aren't dreaming this up on their own. They're hearing it from their their the mainstream population because of the un balanced position the gerrymandered map has put us into and the likelihood that there will be a uh, a amendment dealing with maps well we're going to do everything we can to make sure that we motivate the public to speak and outcry i mean it's amazing that we've gotten democrats to sponsor uh in the senate uh, I think that's an amazing first step, and I applaud my Democratic colleagues who realize. And like you said, this isn't a Republican or Democrat. Things will cycle through, right? Regardless of, of everything, Republicans someday will be in charge of the legislature. It's just better if we have a balanced approach, regardless of which party's in charge, that we have maps that represent the people of Illinois and their communities, not political interest of the elected politicians very briefly here i want to ask going back to our start of our discussion talking about the constitutional amendment on graduated income tax tell me briefly why do you think that that's just going to fail flat out with voters well it eliminates protections for middle-income families we we know that history has proven that at the end of the day the politicians, particularly the Democrats, will reach into the pockets of, of independent, of moderate income families uh, who who will have to support that. The, the wealthiest citizens, who we're not about protecting, but we would like to see stay here, have the greatest opportunity to change their residency, change the location of their business. And, and it's a false promise to think that People will not make financial decisions based on that, and particularly the middle-income families when you increase. But let me ask I'm, you this question. Bill, who for Senator, a, sir, who I'm, for a 60, sir, I'm sorry. Who for a $60 reduction in their income tax bill is going to trust Democratic politicians that they're going to be better off on a revision of the Constitution? All right. I don't think anybody. Senator, thank you so much. i got to hold you there. Thank you so much for joining me. That's State Senator Bill Brady, the Illinois Senate Republican leader from Bloomington. We're wrapping up now. I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank Rebecca She, the American Business Immigration Coalition's Executive Director. We were supposed to have Andrea Durbin from the Illinois Collaboration on Youthon. We're going to put her on after the primaries. This is WGN.